yeah, please don't shake the baby. Shake it. Shake it like a Polaroid. No, no deal. No deal. If those are the terms, I I decline. Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we excitedly scream. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the rabid reader, Mike Thompson. I'm not screaming. You have to. I don't want to. You can't make me. You're not the boss of me. I don't have a boss right now. Mike. (laughs) Shit, you're right. Okay, fine. I, I really can't make you then. No. How's it going? Oh, it's fine. How are you doing? I'm good. It's it's. Really goddamn hot in my house right now. Yeah, it's hot everywhere right now in the Bay Area, man. It sucks. I hate it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, if you're new to the show, our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. But today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries mini episodes that we do in between those deep dives. We spend a ton of time brooding through dollar bins at local shops looking for interesting stuff just to bring to you all. And while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be enough for us to do a deep dive on at the moment, but we always reserve the right to change our mind later. Each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue we came across in the dollar bins, one that fits a theme one of us chose. We'll talk about what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. These mini episodes are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. So today, I am very excited to say that we are once again joined by Master of Animated Mayhem, David Boer. I think it's pronounced Anna Mayhem. Anna Mayhem. <laughs> I love Let's that. Let's just end the episode and now. Anna Mayhem. You know, folks, it's been a really good two minutes, but. <laughs> well, David, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yes, I am a, a rabid lover of puns, which we're going to see during this episode. When I talk about my dollar bin discovery, uh, but I uh, started out life and my professional life as an attorney uh, for 17 years before I went full time writing. And now I write um, comic books, movie, TV. Right now I'm working on Dungeons and Dragons Saturday Morning Adventures for IDW, which is based on the uh, cartoon from the 80s, which I grew up with and I love. Yeah, and uh, a couple creator-owned series, Canto, uh, Little Clockwork Night in Search of a Heart that was inspired by Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Neverending Story, Secret of Nam, Return to Oz, all of those things that, again, I loved from the 80s. So I am a, lest anybody have any questions, I am a grown human person who is completely <laughs> obsessed with kid stuff from the 80s. That's me. I mean, deeply relatable. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why Mike and I host this podcast. So, <laughs> well, part of the reason that we chose this topic for David is because of his affinity for the 1980s, like we just mentioned. In fact, one of his online bios reads, he grew up reading Stephen King, watching The Goonies and Nightmare on Elm Street, 
eating Lucky Charms in front of He-Man, trading Garbage Pail Kids, playing Nintendo, and going outside. We've listed that one last. We'll just go ahead and throw that out there. Because <laughs> you can't, I mean, there, it was tricky to get the Nintendo to play outside, but we did it. <laughs> we just ran an extension cord with a splitter. I should add in there, it's, it's you know, trading Garbage Pail Kids, playing Nintendo, and Kaima, as a last resort, going out. Mm. Yes. (laughs) And because we love Saturday morning cartoons and they came about in the 1980s, thanks to Ronnie Reagan, we don't thank him for much, but here we are. (laughs) This seemed like the perfect thing to talk about with him. Not Ronald Reagan, to be clear. David, here. Ronald (laughs) Reagan's not coming to the podcast. (laughs) Hello. Oh, Ronald Reagan. Oh. <laughs> um, now my interest is peaked, and I don't know if we need to talk about anything else except how Ronald Reagan somehow enabled the 1980s Saturday morning cartoons. You should listen to our very first episode because we talked <laughs> all about that. That was, I was going to say, that a... was completely not planted. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Reagan uh, had a guy who came in to run the FCC, and they really loosened up the restrictions for education versus advertising for kids programming back in the eighties. And so cut to like 1982, 83, I think was when all of a sudden all of the children's programming that were like Saturday morning cartoons of that era suddenly got axed because they were like a little bit more educational. They weren't really marketing toys. And all of a sudden we got the half hour toy commercials that were things like transformers, GI Joe, he-Man and the Masters of the Universe, all that stuff. And Marvel was actually really involved with a lot of the stories for them. Like, I think they came up with the stories for both Transformers and G.I. Joe. Yeah, I was watching the, the toys that made us, yep. watching that, that show on Netflix, and they did the He-Man episode. Mm-hmm. And they talked about the show and the choices they made, and in particular the choice that they made to make Prince Adam, yeah. make him, like, win the pink and the bob, like the Prince Bob. Mm-hmm. And to make Skeletor's voice that screechy high pitched, the the creators of the show attribute its massive success to those particular oddball choices for that. So that's I, okay. that's my moment to He Man explain both of you. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of Saturday morning cartoons, what was all of your favorite? cereal to eat when you watched Saturday morning cartoons. Now, yours was already in your bio, David, but did you have any others? I remember eating, uh, I think I said Lucky Charms. Mm-hmm. But I, I think my family was very high on the branded. So I remember eating Gremlin cereal, Ghostbusters cereal, Super Mario mm-hmm. Brothers cereal, uh, Pac-Man. Did all you ever of the eat the uh, that... Nintendo cereal? Yeah, so it was the Nintendo cereal that was like split down the middle. Yep. One side was Zelda, one side was Super Mario. Yep. And oh it depended on which way you you you'd uh, pour out the the boxes. Which one do you get? Yeah, and it was it was basically like Captain Crunch. Like it was just a different shape, if I remember oh, yeah. right. All of them are exactly the same. It's like some boring boring filler, and then marshmallows. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we bought and ate all of those. It's like my job now. I write Dungeons and Dragons and I have on the TV behind me the cartoon for Dungeons and Dragons just running. 
So when I was a kid, I would be like watching the Ghostbusters cartoon and eating the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. cereal. I have the Ghostbusters teaching. It's just like nuts. It was Man. just, I was a nut. You're truly living the dream. Have you gotten any of the uh, Spanish language Dungeons and Dragons comics that they did? Because that was like the only iteration of the animated show back then, like for comic books. I have not. And, you know, I've looked for them because I kind of I I kind of dove into the the fandom of this. You know, I always loved the show, but I never was really part of the fandom. And there's little PVC figures from overseas that they did in the 80s. And there's these Spanish language books that they did. And they pop up on eBay, but the you know one of the books that goes that looks like it went through the wood chipper is like two hundred dollars. Like, well, they're so expensive. Un- they're so and so my expensive. page rate goes up to a thousand dollars a page. I'm not buying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, what about you? What was your cereal of choice? I mean, back then it was Lucky Charms because there was that novelty of like, oh, you get cereal with marshmallows. But I've I've gradually transitioned to Fruit Loops. Uh, I think the last time that I had them in the house, Sarah almost murdered me because this was at the height of the pandemic. And I was like, what would happen if I just put chocolate sauce on the Fruit Loops? I was like in that that death spiral of I have nothing to do and stuck at home. And uh, so basically I made I made chocolate milk for Fruit Loops. That was kind of like the end. (laughs) <laughs> the end result and it was wow. fine it was everybody's fine. so creative <laughs> i know right <laughs> oh goodness you could have just well, had cocoa krispies you should uh, just, then like, he wouldn't have the fruit with it he was really he was going for like you know what he was doing he was a, he was going for his like gourmand move like moment of like chocolate covered fl- fruit loops. i was doing research was for like, my county fair cookie baking thank you very much <laughs> Oh, oh, it was like yeah. There it is. We're talking to a blue ribbon winner of the county fair for cookies. So, oh, just oh, I know. I, Mike's just cookies I. are delightful. Did you put chocolate sauce all over them, or why? I have actually. I've done a homemade uh, chocolate ganache on. I call them smorios. You do chocolate chip cookie, but with an Oreo instead of chocolate chips, and then you take a jumbo marshmallow. You dice it up so you got a really thin slice that you put on top. You toast it with a dessert torch, and then you do a dark chocolate ganache on top. I just, I'm so mad at you right now because all I want is that. I mean, come on up. I'll bake them for you. Okay. All right. Podcast over. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, what about you, Jessica? My, so right now, and actually I loved these when I was a kid too. I'm such a weird kid, but I really like honeycomb. It's the texture. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like the texture of it. And it's like not as sweet. I'm not really like a super sweet cereal person necessarily. It's all right. We're all allowed to be wrong about things in life. It's fine. Oh, yeah, that's a little rough. I do like, uh, I say that as I'm also going to say that. Yeah, he chooses violence quite often. (laughs) You know, it's, I, we're still friends. It's cool. (laughs) Everybody who meets me, they're like, you're so nice. And then every now and then it it just comes out. As I make this face, I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) But we we had a lot of, like, I don't know. I had a mom that was, like, nearing, like, almond mom status where we, like, lived in an ingredient house, if you know what Mm. I mean. So we had a lot of, like, more healthier choices. So we would get, like, you know, just the stupid healthy ones with, like, oh, there's, like, flakes and nuts and, like 
you know, flax in here. And it's like, okay. Um, nope. You know. I'm just violently shaking my head. Yeah. And then we had like, you know, we like had Honey Nut Cheerios. That was kind of our like, our like sweet one that we got. Yeah. But we had like, sometimes <laughs> we had like Fruit Loops and stuff, but just try to stay away from that stuff. The 90s were wild. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to our comics of choice. So why don't we start with our guest, David? No, uh, so it, I, I'm holding it up to the screen like like we're a video. Um, I chose for my comic, surprising no one who has ventured this deep into the abyss this episode, that I chose Mad Balls number one, Star Comics, uh, 1986. So if you don't know what Mad Balls are, Mad Balls are a toy that came out in the 80s probably early to mid-80s, and each one was a hideously ugly ball that was foam. You had, like, Oculus, who was a, just an eyeball. You had Slobulus, who was just drooling everywhere. You had Hornhead, who had a horn on his head. Um, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that there is one that's got half of his brain exposed. Oh, I remember that one, yeah. And his name is Crackhead. His name is Crackhead. <laughs> I'm not joking. And they just, there's so many puns in this particular comic when they're telling the story. And not once do they recognize that they've named him Crackhead. God. They just do, they should just roll with it. I'm trying to remember, did they come in like blind boxes or were they, or were no, they, like, they came in they were, bubble. Um, okay. The blister they came packs? In bubble cards. Yeah. Blisters um, that hung on the hook yeah, okay. in Toys R Us or wherever. Lesser known are the bats. There were ugly bats with ugly faces on them that you could use to hit your mad ball, but you know they're they're much rarer than the balls themselves. Wow! So, so this comic it's the first one in the three issue series, and each issue has two stories in it, and this beautiful eighties uh, storytelling aesthetic where every third page there is an advertisement, and one of the advertisements, I the stories are fun, they're kind of silly. The origin story of the Mad Balls is they are in the back of a truck and they're just rubber balls. And then he swerves to avoid a black cat going across his path. And the back of the truck opens and eight of these balls go bouncing out and they just happen to roll down this hill into a giant pool of radioactive waste. At there it is. The, <laughs> at, wait, wait, at that ruin. The Secret Laboratory of Ruin, R-U-I-N, Research Unlimited and Nucleonics. Amazing. Yes. The famous Pulitzer Prize category of nucleonics. <laughs> so they Absolutely. pop out and then we have the Mad Balls. And then they go and they terrorize some kids, innocently playing baseball. But then they befriend the kids. And then of course, there's a mad scientist from Ruin who's like, I'm going to win my Pulitzer now if I catch the Mad Balls. And he's got a sidekick who's like Igor, but he physically abuses him constantly. Like he's popping champagne and Igor and what's his name? Um, first of all, the scientist's name is Dr. Victor Frankenbeans. Good. No notes. Love it. 10 of 10, no notes. Uh, um, and then his, his psychic is a uh, snivelick or snivelich L I T C H. And so he tries to go get the balls in the box because that's what you do. 
You don't put the other thing in the box. You put the balls in the box. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they thwart him and throw the scientists into the um, same slime pit that uh, they came out of. But that's only story one. The true highlight of this issue is a story called Cornered, C-O-R-N hyphen E-R-E-D. Okay. No. Are you ready? I don't know, man. Yeah, you are. <laughs> the Mad Bulls and the kids are playing hide-and-seek in a cornfield when the kids suddenly get kidnapped by sentient mutant corn and taken into a barn. And this is where you got to go super dark with it. And it's like, it's an abattoir in there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, I, would, I would read I the hell like, out of oh, that no. book if that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There's this new book that I'm reading from Oni Press called Dwellings. And if you oh, haven't okay. heard of this... It's drawn like a little Lulu, Richie Rich, Peanuts, but it's hardcore horror, like body oh, horror, wow. and like okay. violence. And it's just, it's a masterpiece. It is, it is just 10 of 10 no notes, right? But anyway, so who have the kids been taken by? They've been taken by a mutated militant cornstalk. His name is Colonel Corn. Oh my goodness. I'm just sending that soon. Do they spell it with a C or a K? Well, he says, I am Colonel Corn, only a mere Colonel. <laughs> Until wow. I fell into that slimy ruin pond. I am considering ruling the world. I just like grabbed my head involuntarily. Like, <laughs> I don't think you wait, understand. Wait, like... wait, 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 wait. No, no. Gather around. <laughs> Corn has my face. Step aside, big boy, and you won't get hurt much. Of course, I'm a big boy. Eating corn makes you husky. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it's kind of clever because the puns are his power, and they're actually sapping the power from the mad bulls and the kids until they start passing out. Oh my God. That is but a small sample of my awesome pun power. My painful puns will. Paralyze you and make you my slaves. And just like in medieval days, any attempt to escape would be futile. Mm, <laughs> I like this. I like this. This speaks to me. Oh my gosh. Anyway, he pulls out a cornball. Of course, he does. And he attacks. But you know how they uh, defeat Colonel Corn? Lay it on me. Uh, one, of, one of the mad balls. What is his name? Screaming Mimi, he gets so mad that he starts heating up, and they know this. So the other Mad Bulls and the kids really rile him up, and he gets so mad that it gets so hot in the barn that they turn Colonel Corn into Colonel Popcorn. I love it. That's great. <laughs> and it's just, it's I, if if my personality could be somehow magically packaged into a comic book it would be 1986 mad balls number one by star comics amazing oh my goodness was this like the end scene of real genius i'm curious where you just got the popcorn spilling out of the the house (laughs) no he's running away his head is a corn as an actual corn cob he's running away and it's popping out of his head and then he's at the end um he's like uh, just a just a, a mere husk of what he once was (laughs) <laughs> my goodness that was gracious. mine that was all mine good 
Yeah. So all in all, in all I'm going to give this about on a scale of one to 10. It's, I, it's an 11 for me. So Good. that's where we are. <laughs> Amazing. It's a real Amazing. we rate dog score right there. <laughs> well, Mike, what about you? What have you uh, brought for us today? Uh, I have also brought something from Marvel Star Imprint. I'm talking about Air Raiders number one. This is cover dated from November 1987. It was written by Howard Mackey, penciled by Kelly Jones, which if you squint hard, you can see elements in his style that started to really show up later on in books like Sandman and Batman. It was inked by Jim Sinclair, lettered by Janice Chang, Colored by Janet Jackson, edited by Bob Budiansky, and Tom DeFalco was editor-in-chief. So, we open on Airlandia, a highly technological world where air is more valuable than gold. And, unfortunately, air is a rare commodity controlled by the evil Aerozar and his tyrants of wind. Uh, however, there is a heroic band of rebels called the Air Rebels who oppose Aerozar. We get a scene in the village of Sackbar, where some of the tyrants are oppressing a, a citizen that they have accused of being an air hoarder. And they tell him he needs to give their leader as much air as he wants, or the villager will be shipped off to the air mines of Tyrex, which I'm not a scientist, but I, I don't think you can mine air. I don't know how that goes, but whatever. <laughs> Just a bunch of people. You're right, Mike. Like, You're not a scientist. I know. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's misspelled. It, it's mime. M -I -M -E. Oh, is it mime? <laughs> <laughs> they're just pushing the invisible wall. <laughs> yes, they're taking invisible shovels and, and shoveling air. Good. Uh, so immediately after this, a crowd of protesters forms and starts chanting free air for free men. But then General Cronax, who is rocking a kind of techno plague doctor suit of armor, shows up and calms things down by noting that everyone is able to breathe because of an air dome that was donated by Baron Sunder. And this is all watched from afar by Rock, which is spelled with two Ks. So we love that. Uh, he is the leader of the Air Raiders. Rock and his comrade Hook are there to meet with a local resistance cell. So Rock fires off a flare and the Air Raiders fly in, distracting the tyrants and allowing the two heroes to sneak into their meeting. The meeting goes off without a hitch. Rock learns about how oppressed the general populace is and vows to overthrow the system so they can restore Airlandia to what it was before, quote, the great disaster. Hook and Rock then snag some unguarded air tanks with the aid of the rest of the air raiders. They make it home to their base in the petrified cloud forest, which again, I don't, okay, whatever, uh, which actually houses a hidden massive rainforest. Rock has a crisis of conscience because he feels like the village can't afford to lose their air that he and his team stole. We cut to Baron Saunders yeah. castle. Uh, can I just jump in real yeah, quick and say, you said rock is spelled with two K's. I feel like it would be a very different story if it was spelled with three K's. <laughs> it would be. Absolutely. Oh, he goes to a meeting. Yeah. He goes to a meeting and they're going to overthrow. Mm, okay. Mm, all of a sudden it takes on a whole different meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we then cut to Baron Sunder's castle where Arizar meets with the tyrants of the wind, who it turns out are all a bunch of barons keeping the world's resources in a chokehold. General Cronax arrives and tells Arizar about the rebel attack. Arizar tells Cronax to go back and collect another round of air tribute while demanding Baron Sunder support Cronax with his own troops. Back at Sackbar, the air raiders are returning the air to the people, filling up air canisters in a real Robin Hood moment. 
And then as they're leaving, they spot the tyrants of Wind's forces returning to the village as well. The aerators send a couple of ships to cause a distraction so Rock can sneak back in and make sure the villages are okay, but he's captured. Baron Sunder himself tells Rock that Rock is a disgrace to his entire family, and plot twist, it's revealed that Sunder is actually Rock's father. Rock managed to... <gasps> I know, right? He's the third king. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just kidding. I was like, he is a he's such a jerk. Yeah, in the sequel, <laughs> in the sequel, Baron Sunder discovers Facebook and starts making a bunch of real, uh, real uncomfortable posts. Air <laughs> to the people. <laughs> I don't know how he's not getting community guidelines violations. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do too, man. So after this, Rock manages to escape and the Baron's breather is damaged in the chase and Rock defeats the rest of the evil soldiers. When Sunder begs his son for air, he says, I have no air to give you, but if you vow to leave the village and it's air alone, maybe your loyal subjects will give you some of their surplus. The Baron promises, one of the children brings out an air canister, and the Baron is saved. The air raiders fly away, shouting their battle cry, air raiders ride the wind, and we are told to come back to the next issue for a new story. And... No, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it turns out that the air raiders were a toy line created by Hasbro, and they were getting the full marketing treatment. I found some commercials for those action figures that have like full animated sequences. In fact, the first commercial they ran is purely animation. It turns out they're advertising the Marvel comic the same way that they did with GI Joe when the toy line first launched. And they were able to get around the FCC's animation limit by using it to market the comic itself. The toys big gimmick was using air pressure to launch darts and stuff. And the figures are all kind of identical looking. I even found a print ad for the animated series that was going to be coming from Sunbow Animation and Claster Television Productions. It notes how the companies have created the two top animated series in weekend syndication, which are Transformers and Gem of the Holograms, and they're bringing a new show to the airwaves that fall. No pun intended. Yeah. Airwaves. Airwaves. It markets itself. It markets itself, people. Does it? I don't know if it does. What because... an 80s thing to be like, how would you like to give your child projectiles? We've got yeah. the best idea for you. How about air pressure? <laughs> well, and the other thing is that this is right at the point when Hasbro's toys were all losing money. So they canceled G.I. Joe and Transformer cartoons that year. And Gem of the Holograms, I think. And then my guess is that the Air Raiders cartoon just basically had its wings clipped before it could get off the ground. Oh. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> but yeah, the, the comic itself is, it's kind of fun. It's like, it's a cute riff on Robin Hood. The world is really weird and original. Jones's artwork, like, is amazing. I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for more issues in the dollar bins. I'm not going to call it good but it's certainly enjoyable can i ask okay. a question about it yeah what is it's not a vacuum right they don't live in a vacuum it's just they can't breathe the air around them they're pretty vague about it it sounds like it sounds like there was something like kind of like mars where you know like the atmosphere got baked off or something like that and now they have like... But obviously they're flying and stuff, so there's got to be some sort of atmosphere because otherwise they'd just be floating around. Yeah, I mean, theoretically. It might just be like a really thin atmosphere where there's not enough oxygen to breathe. I don't know. Like, So you're talking, it's just total recall. 
is basically what you described to me. Yeah, but without the nudity or the hardcore violence, which makes it less cool. Or three booms. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is this, can we, do we have to edit that out? Because this is a. No. Okay, good. This isn't a fucking family podcast. I tell people all the time, don't listen with your children here. No, literally are like, we did an episode about Debbie does Dallas. Like, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which the promo for that is my highest viewed TikTok, by the way. So, Yeah. Literally our tagline is comics history swears. Like, don't worry about it. All right. Great. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) All right. Anyway, there was the the, in total recall on Mars. Remember they had the, you know, air was, air was basically a commodity that was being controlled. Yep. And the one woman had three boobs. So that's, okay. that's my synopsis. I mean, that's really kind of like the only things you need to know about it. That yeah. also had like a 2010 Colin Farrell remake, but I don't think it was as good as a Fright Night. I got one half of the way through that and did not finish that particular <sighs> film. Yeah. And he was really trying to remake himself back then, wasn't he? Mm. I still Fright Night. I told you when before we started recording. <laughs> you got a distant look victim. in your eyes. You got you like thought you you got like you fell into like a thought right there. Like I saw you go in there. I saw the emotion in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when we talked about the Snyder cut and I got Misty talking about Jason Momoa being shirtless and I was willing to forgive Zack Snyder for so much <laughs> because he gave us so much shirtless Jason Momoa. That's a hundred that's that you are correct that's like empirically correct (laughs) so which since we haven't said it yet on this episode jason momoa if you would like to come on the podcast we are fine with that (laughs) let us know (laughs) there will be a fully fleshed out uh list of topics that may or may not include you just being shirtless and everything you've ever done oh yeah no there are stipulations (laughs) also also, how dreamy are my eyes, Jason? Tell me. I can take it. <laughs> Break the news to me. Oh, amazing. Uh, it's fine. Sarah's not into Jason Momoa, so I can have them all to myself. It's great. Oh, perfect. Look at that. I know, right? Well, so that is us. What about you, Jessica? Listen. First of all, I need you to know that I very truly understood the assignment. And while I'm bringing you a more current comic, it's actually a mashup of two true Saturday morning cartoon properties. So, today I'm bringing you issue number three of IDW and Nickelodeon's Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures. So, this was published in January of 2017 subtitled Greener on the Other Side and written by Matthew K. Manning, art by John Samariva, inked by Sean Parsons, colors by Leonardo Ito, lettered by Sean Lee, edited by Bobby Kernow, published by Ted Adams. And we luckily start off with a little backstory explaining how the Turtles and Batman have collided, which includes portals from Gotham that are linked up with the Turtles, New York City. So they're fighting a giant plant praying mantis hybrid thing that the Turtles had previously fought, with Poison Ivy controlling it this time, making it more of a challenge. So they defeat Ivy, they send her back through the portal that Donnie had opened up, and Raphael gets back just in time 
not to get stuck in Gotham. We then get a shot of Joker, who is KO'd Bebop and Rocksteady, and is captured Shredder. And this is where it gets really funny, because Joker's calling Shredder things like Shreddy Poo, and calling his team the Zoo Crew. Good. <laughs> Which is just like, no notes. Fuck it for a I love it. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Matthew Manning, I, I'm not familiar with his work, but I'm going to guess that he is a DC writer. And this was the moment of like, cute, you're doing the little turtle thing. That's cute. And it's like the head pat. Yeah. And this was his way to head pat them through the script. Yeah. Right. I like it. (laughs) So Batman, the turtles and company are in the underground lair. They're trying to form a game plan and figure out why there are all these portals opening up. And they start hearing some distress calls from the city above where people are in a mass panic. But each reporting a different type of entity or danger that they're facing. So the team splits up to assist with the disturbance. We then get to the surface. They find that people are all losing their minds with clouds of some sort of gas clouding around in the streets. So Batman puts on a mask before telling Leo and Raphael to stay on the rooftops and to look for a guy dressed like a scarecrow before dipping off. So the turtles stray too far down, and they're both affected by the hallucinogenic gas, seeing different horrors each. They're met by a guy in a lab coat telling them that he can help them if they follow him. So that's where it ends, right there. And so you kind of have to go to the next issue to see more. But this was a really fun comic. I'm really glad I picked up this one and a few others of the series. It was really neat the way that they mashed up the two properties with attention to detail with both sets of the characters. And I like that all of the characters got the spotlight long enough to show their personality. I think they did a really nice job of having the characters interact with each other in a way that feels believable, too, which Hmm. was kind of cool. So I also really liked how funny it was. I was chuckling through the whole thing, especially as the turtles are getting acclimated to the names of Batman and company. So the turtles are calling him Bat Guy, and they're making fun of the fact that Robin has his hero name. And there's also this really funny scene where Splinter comes into the lair and Batgirl says, everyone's staring at the giant rat man, right? <laughs> and, and Donnie says, that's our dad, sort of. And she responds with, oh, sure, why not? (laughs) That is pretty great. That is pretty great. (laughs) The art is also really fun. It was true to the styles of each of the respective TV shows as they appeared at the time, kind of like back in the day. Oh, so this is meant to look like the style of like Batman Adventures, like the Bruce Timm style? exactly. Oh, that's super cool. I like that. Yeah. And Poison Ivy, holy shit, she was, like, giving Betty Page, especially as she was, like, tying up Robin and a couple of the turtles and vines. It was <laughs> a vibe. It was a vibe. Good. My queer little heart was a flutter. I was like, ooh, I could be a turtle. Like, <laughs> tie me up. <laughs> so, yes, I would absolutely recommend this comic book. And like I said, I'll certainly be reading more of the series because I've got at least a few more of these that I got in the dollar bins at the same time. Nice. <laughs> I'm 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 interested. I'm not a I, I love turtles, but I'm not a big like DC Batman reader at all. But this sounds like no my same. jam. 
Yeah. No, I'm kind of and neither am I. And it was enough of it was enough of kind of poking fun at it for me that it was fun for me in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Like the I've seen I think I've seen the first movie that they did as a crossover between Batman and the Turtles, and that was pretty fun too. Like I remember there's basically a ninja martial arts fight between Batman and Shredder that's like a legit cool martial arts fight. But yeah. two really cool properties to to match up. Yeah. So it's definitely there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of different things you can do with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Batman is so I mean, it's so serious. It's you know, it's so serious more yeah. out of the time. Give give them an opportunity to have some wry humor in there a little bit. We're at some point we're gonna be doing an episode about the Batman novel and then the adapted comic series, which is all about him fighting child trafficking in Thailand. And I'm just like, I man, like, I need to really kind of like, you know, gird myself to to A, read those <laughs> books and then B, do the actual research on the topic because that was a big thing back then. I mean, you sent me the link for that and I was like, I bought it and I didn't start reading because I was just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's It's a thing. My suggestion is to read one chapter and then go watch one episode of Batman 66. Okay. I'm reading another chapter. Batman 66. It's all the same DNA. It's all the same yep. bat guy. Yep. Adam West, <laughs> alumni channel. of my college. Does he free all the children and then do the Batuse thing? I don't know. He probably he should. <laughs> Run free, kids. You're out of danger. <laughs> He doesn't think it any farther than just getting them out of danger. He just like tries to free them like they're wild animals. <laughs> you want to come Run live free. with me in my mansion? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a different comic completely. <laughs> Children, oh, never now it's... Phrase, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Well, quickly get in my mansion. <laughs> he breaks his leg at one point and starts rolling around in a uh, wheelchair. It's like, oh, no, we've got another school for gifted and talented children. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) This is sounding familiar. (laughs) Well, (sighs) David, you have a new horror one shot coming out. Would you tell our readers a little bit about it? Sure. I've been I've been singing this from the rooftops for um, quite some time now, but it's actually my first ever crowdfunding foray. And it is on the website Zoop, uh, and hopefully in the show notes, we might be able to put the link to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Awesome. Awesome. Because we we are currently in the funding mode. Uh, it is called The Feeding, and it is a one-shot that was written by me, and it was drawn by Drew Zucker, who is the my, their co-creator and artist on Canto. And the colorist is Vittorio Stone, and the lettering is Anvil Design, so it's the entire Canto creative team that come to do this one-shot horror series. And it's about this guy. His name is Nolan Ward, and he's a day trader. He's a drinker. He's a casual drug user, womanizer, just kind of a little bit of a douchebag. But you find out very quickly that he's actually been haunted all of his life by this painting. And this painting eats people. Mm. So he's kind of been running away from it. And it's shown back up into his life. And it's hungry again. So Nolan's going to have to figure out what to do about this thing that's been plaguing him. And it's now shown back up. 
when you find out that a lot of the stuff that he's doing with the drugs and women and all that stuff is, um, you know, it's coping. It's trying to push this away and it's here. And now what's mm-hmm. going to happen? 32 page one shot horror series. So it's perfect for spooky season. It's on Zoop right now. We've got the main cover and offline we were talking about variants. So of course we have some variants. We have a foil variant. We did the entire issue. It's all complete. So it's just, it needs to go to the printer. We did a black and white full issue so that we could showcase Drew's line art on it. And we've got a bunch of add-ons from Canto and we've got some prints and we've got some uh, original art and, and, and some different things. So I strongly encourage you to go get it. We've busted through our funding goal on day one. So we announced that we oh, are nice. making Congrats. all that. Thank you. So we are making all of the early bird pricing that was going to be just for the first 48 hours. We've made that permanent so more folks can feel like they don't have a barrier to come onto it because we had such a strong uh, support out of the gate. Oh, awesome. that's sweet. That's nice you were able to do that. So how yeah, long is the like, uh, crowdfunding going for? By the time this airs, we're about halfway through the campaign. Mm-hmm. So we are hopefully keeping up that momentum, but you'll have a couple weeks to yeah. still back it. And then it closes at the beginning. Uh, I think it's the first week of November. Cool. And if you, uh, if folks who are listening would like to back it, uh, you can come on board because we are limiting every variant cover. The main cover is limited to 500, the oils 150 and then the black and white is a hundred. And they all have the Zoop logo on it. I'm a big believer in supporting the folks that support us. So once the campaign is over, all of these variants are going to be put in the vault and they're never going to be reprinted in this form. Mm-hmm. And then our plan is to bring it to a wider audience once this is over. So this is a way for folks to get in early and get those, those Zoop like exclusive variants before we sort of open it up to a lot of other people. That's really cool. Awesome. Speculators, you heard it here first. Jake and Jesus, pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't want to speculate that there's any future life for this, but I mean, if I were to speculate, maybe I would be speculating that something would happen. Mm. But that's all speculation. But that's all speculation. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for being here. It was absolutely phenomenal to have you on again. We would love to have you on anytime you'd like to be on. Of course, you're amazing. I told you there's three issues in this Madball series. So if folks are clamoring for <laughs> issues two and three, the puns are going to be strong and it's going to be a, an episode filled with them. Yeah, folks, let <laughs> us know. Interact. <laughs> Please, no. Oh my gosh. Well, that is our episode for today. Please join us next week for another deep dive. The week after that, we will have another dollar bin discovery. And until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find at lookmomdraws.com. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, for now. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. We're also just about everywhere else on social media. The complete list will be in the show notes. And you can find me all over social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or the newfangled I Don't Understand Threads and Blue Sky. <laughs> I'm an old guy, did I mention it? <laughs> it's at David Bohr some places, like Twitter and, I believe, Blue Sky. And it's at David M. Bohr on Instagram and Threads. And you can find my face on the book. <laughs> If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.